it's kickoff weekend for the NFL. So you'll permit me one sports analogy here. Um, it's been described of certain teams that this team is either playing to win or they're playing not to lose. And that's meant to describe one team is like aggressively taking risks and going for it, but the other team is trying not to make any mistakes and trying to survive it. Either team can win or lose on a given Sunday, but it's the teams that are playing to win, that are willing to risk it all, that have the greatest likelihood. Because usually, when you're playing just not to lose, your margin for error is so small, and nothing great is most likely going to happen that any small thing that disrupts it ends up in a loss. So the very thing you were afraid of and you played so conservatively to avoid ends up happening. What if there's a parallel to prayer in this way? And this is what intrigued me. This is what the Holy Spirit intrigued me with this week. And, and it's changing how I want to think about my prayer times, or at least parts of my prayer times. What if Christians more often pray just not to lose? instead of praying to win. What do I mean by that? When we pray for ourselves, is it mostly just that we won't fall into our temptations? Is it mostly that we'll just have help to overcome our problems? When we pray for others, is it mostly that they will become a Christian, be saved, be redeemed, or, or be helped in their trials? Well, that would mean if that's the bulk of our prayer, then we're satisfied with just not losing. Not failing, not falling, not falling into temptation, not falling away from the Lord. That's a very low bar. And if all we ever prayed is that we're just not awful, you have not because you ask not, how are we ever going to be exceptional through God's strength and in his kingdom? It feels like there'd have to be a whole other element to prayer. If we're praying just not to have a sin deficit with the Lord, so we kind of get back up to squared with him, that's still like a zero budget. Where's all the extra for the extra? What is there beyond just not disappointing God in our lives? What if our prayers were praying for the fruit? What if we're praying for the power? What if we're praying for the joy and the endurance because we know we have this inheritance. That's Paul's prayer here. It's a prayer for what could be. And it's a prayer for Christians. And I feel like it, it can be a missing piece of our prayer life because Jesus invites us. When you struggle, pray. And we struggle all the time. We're beset on all sides. But I think that that's just Satan's distraction tactic. So we spend all our time just trying to get up to square one. What about square a thousand? Square ten million? Where will God take us? So we can trust ourselves in his grace. It's not if we don't pray for things that are never going to happen. It's not that we shouldn't pray for the needs that we have because we're invited to or commanded to pray and bring our requests before the Lord because he loves us. What I'm introducing here, what Paul invites us to consider, is there may be a whole aspect of our prayer life that is in neglect. And ultimately, if most of our prayers are, please, Lord, help, or don't make me do this, or don't let this happen to me, or I'm sorry, it's actually a fear-filled prayer life, if you whittle it down. Or all of our prayers are revolved around our fears. Oh, Jesus wants so much more for our prayer lives than just avoidance and forgiveness, and I hope I can make it. Jesus conquered death. 
He lives in us. Greater is he that is in us than is in the world. Our prayer lives should reflect the greatness of God, his mighty power working in us, not just his forgiveness of our sins. The Lord's Prayer isn't just forgive us of our sins. That's one element, and it's not first, and it's not last. It does not get a place of priority in Jesus' prayer. It's in the middle. It's a need. We start with God in his name, his kingdom, his glory, his will. Oh, those are big things. We can't even comprehend those things. So we start the Lord's Prayer, Prayer 101, with think big, think God. We're small. We trust him for our provision, for our protection, for our uh, avoidance of temptation, for our kingdom life. Paul says here, okay, let's say that you've prayed that prayer. So now you've prayed three minutes into your morning prayer time. Well, what do you say next? Is it crickets? Maybe we could dive into praying faith-based prayers for what God is doing and will do versus fear-based prayers about what we hope won't happen. What would it look like if we prayed for ourselves to win at our relationship with Jesus? Is that even a thing? I don't know. I'm kind of poking you with that question. But think about it for a second. What is winning? In a relationship with a spouse, which is similar to this union we have with Jesus, what's winning look like? How do both parties feel? What does it take? What does it look like? How good can it be? Is a great marriage one where you just don't say anything mean? Now you've achieved greatness. You just don't be unfaithful. As long as you're faithful, then it's like the best marriage out there. Is it winning or is it surviving? Are we playing to win or are we playing not to lose? What are you praying for? I think we can reduce our faith to kind of like an escape hatch from sin. Get me out of it. Quick, help. And God's there for those moments. Uh, but he's not just there for that because sometimes he has something great that he's going to do in that trial. So what if you're praying, God, bring your greatness and also please help me because this is crushing. But don't just save me from it. Step into it. Work your will. Remember the parable of the talents? It's in Matthew 25. Jesus gave lots of different, well, the, in this, the master gives lots of different things to lots of different people to work with. Talents, uh, money in this case, not English talents, uh, a unit of money measurement in their time. So he gives lots of money to use. Who is the person that he's displeased with when he comes back and settles accounts? The person who buried it. And who was the person who buried it? He had one. He had the smallest amount, right? That person lived in fear of losing the little he had. And so then suffered the master's wrath. Not the well done, good and faithful servant, but take what even he has away from him and give it to one who has so he may have more and cast him aside into the darkness and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus went all the way there. What if our prayers are like that? Please, God, help me not to lose what I have. Help me not to lose my faith. Help me not to lose this battle to temptation. Help me not to lose my children. Help me not to, to lose my temper. What would the next level of God infuse your power so that your might could be shown, so that something great could happen in the situation. What would that prayer look like? Help me not to lose my faith. Father, the opposite of that, the next level of that would be, God, help my faith to be so powerful that it 
controls my desires, that it changes the world around me, that I come to know you in a way that I never have before. Not just I don't want to lose it, I want to win it. I want all of it. Not just please don't lead me into temptation. Yes, we pray that, but that's the baseline. We're not settling for that. Not only help me not to lead me into temptation, help the temptations to be laughable. Yeah, look at those things and brush them off. They got no hold on me. Why? Because of the grace of Jesus. And give me other people that are really struggling with temptation so that I can sit with them and teach them how to laugh at this temptation through the power of the cross. Make my life a living antithesis of the power of temptation because you are good. Oh, that's a different prayer than just help me not to mess it up. It's a good prayer. It's the power of God kind of prayer. It's a prayer of faith and futures versus fear and failing. Paul introduces us to this. So before we go back and look at the points that Paul makes in this passage, I'd like us to just stop and think for a second. So you can, you can bow your head, you can let your eyes wander. Uh, just think about your own personal prayer life right now. Just think about what prayer looks like. And it could look like a lot of different things. You might be regimented, you might be really flexible. Whatever it looks like, will you think about the content of your prayers? And is there any area in your life where you've been praying fearful avoidance, God deliver? That maybe, maybe even just one area, one prayer, God's asking you to pray, what is joy, endurance, thankfulness, and power? Consider it for a moment, and then we'll go back to our passage. Holy Spirit, inspire us. Please speak to us. Please reveal to us the things that we need to see. Please open our eyes. Please open our ears. Please work in us. Help us to not just see the dangers, but to see the joys set before us and to pursue the path of the cross and the narrow way and the joy set before us. I pray for each one here, Father, that you would uh, be close to us, intimate in our conversations. Lead us into the prayers you want us to pray, to think about things that, in the way you think about them, and how you want us to come to think about them. And may your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I would like to give you one quick definition of prayer. I feel like that's a helpful place to start. We recognize it's very complex. I believe prayer is God's power directed at a person. So it's God's power. We don't pray things into existence. Prayer is not the power of positive thinking. Prayer is not manifesting our intentions. Prayer is not visualization. These are all sort of like worldly attempts to, to grasp at what prayer truly is. And people need this, which is why they come up with all these sorts of mental gymnastics when actually focusing on God is what brings about change. So there's my simple definition for you. Prayer is God's power directed at a person. The reason I say person is because I think even though we pray for events sometimes, I think God's more concerned about the people involved in the events than the events as an abstract. So if there's a war, I think God is grieved by the war, but like loves the people 
who are wounded, right? God, when he sees something like a, you know, a pandemic, he's grieved by that, but it's, he sees souls, and he cares about souls. That's why he sent his son to save us. So um, it's God's power also in my definition. We don't pray things because we said it, it happened. So, oh, I forgot to pray about that thing. It's not us. If you forget to pray about it, it's not like it doesn't happen or doesn't work. It's God's will. But it's directing. It's focusing God's, God's power and his will towards a specific person. So if I were to ask us what types of prayer are most powerful, if we're going to direct power towards a person, we could easily think of healing prayer, right? Even resurrecting prayer. There are certain prayers that just seem so powerful. Uh, we could think of the prayer that would lead someone to conversion, to faith, save their soul. There are, there are very specific prayers. But in Paul's letter here, I think there's a glimpse at an even more powerful approach to prayer where we pray for believers to have fruit. It's almost like the concept of if I do one thing myself, I can do one thing at a time, but if a thousand of us all do one thing at one time, a thousand things get done. We can pray for someone to have healing, but if we prayed for everybody in this church to heal someone this week, well, now there's 60 healings this week. It's addition versus multiplication versus exponential, and God's on a bigger scale. So when we pray for someone for a specific situation, God, please help them in this thing, in their, in their marriage, in their finances, in their health, in their faith, in this job, in this whatever is going on. Um, it's so specific. Paul here steps back and just prays broadly. May these people have fruit. May they all multiply. May they all be blessed. And so that's what struck me. God's directed prayer. The most powerful prayer we could pray is not just for a situation. It's for believers to have fruit. Trust God with what that fruit will be. But, you know, we believe that prayer changes things. So if we pray for someone else in their life, we believe that God is going to do something with that. It also means that if someone prays for us, we believe that someone can change our lives because if prayer changes when we pray outward, then it must also change us when someone prays towards us. So what if no one ever prayed for us? Would we fare as well? Do you know who's praying for you right now? Who are you praying for right now? What if no one prays for them ever? Prayer is God's power directed at a person. And how powerful would it be if we are praying for each other to bear fruit in joy and endurance versus here are my needs, Father. Please help me. Or here is this person's need as if it's a singular sort of thing and we make that our focus. This is the greatest distraction of sin. It isn't the sin itself, it's the preoccupation with it. Spend so much time worrying about the sin before it happens. So much guilt in you as and after it's happening. So much effort spent trying not to let it happen again. I don't want to say that thing again. I don't want to behave that way again. I don't want to feel that way towards that person again. I don't want to be dragged back into that again. It's preoccupying. That's the, the seed that grows up with lots of cares and concerns in the world. It doesn't bear fruit. Parable of the sower. But if we're not crowded and distracted, then we can bear fruit. And if each of us were to bear the fruit that God could imagine for us, then that's what the kingdom is supposed to look like. So prayer towards believers 
not just for problems, I think is one of the most powerful kinds, if not the most powerful kind of prayer. It's also efficient. Most bang for your buck. Pray for someone else to do lots of stuff. Instead of trying to do lots of stuff yourself. And then pray for lots of people to do lots of stuff. And to have lots of victory and lots of wisdom and lots of spiritual discernment. Not just for yourself to have those same things. It's very efficient. Do you remember the centurion asked Jesus to pray for the healing of his servant? And Jesus is like, okay, let's go to your house. And the centurion says, I don't need you to come to me because I know you can just say the word and you have the authority and wherever that person is, he'll be healed. That's how prayer works. You don't have to go to someone to lay hands on them to pray for their healing. Jesus gave us that example. We can pray in faith and wherever we are on the globe, that person can be healed because of a prayer of healing. How much more so for our family, the church, the kingdom. We pray and where we are not, yet things happen. What an efficient form of ministry. More power is in our prayer for others than it could ever be in ourselves because we're one and they're many. If you're looking for a way to have an impact for God's kingdom, possibly the greatest impact is in praying for believers and not just for their problems. Prayer is not supposed to be just problem solving. It's not. Prayer is not just supposed to be problem solving. There's so much more to it than that. And Paul gets it. Paul was so intimate with the Lord. He just understood him so, so well. Um, That's why I would like to look back through this passage and just highlight the thoughts that stood out to me. This is very much like what I asked you to reflect on when you first read it. What did you notice? These are the things that I noticed. I'm not going to talk about them at length, but just to mention them. If you're looking for ways to grow deeper in prayer, if prayer is feeling dry or repetitious, if you're focusing most of your prayers on the fearful things in your life, then this can be Paul's way of teaching us how to pray further. First thing we can learn from Paul. Verse 3, he says, we always thank God when we pray for you. So what was he actually doing? He was actually praying for people. This is like the first thing you have to say about prayer because we don't actually do it a lot of the time. And then we wonder why it's not happening. And then Jesus said, we have not because you asked not. We don't pray nearly enough. Myself included, all of us. We do not pray with the consistency and the fervency and the length of time that Jesus did. And he's our example. So pray more. (laughs) Simple point, first point. Don't talk about prayer. Pray. When will you pray? Who are you going to pray for? If that doesn't like pop right into your mind, then you don't have a plan for it. So it's probably not going to happen because life's busy. Literally, you should know. Be like, oh, I think the next time I'm going to pray is here. Or I often pray at meals, so I bet I'll pray here. Or I might meet someone after church. Or maybe I'm going to go here. And like, something should come to mind for a when of prayer. If not, you don't have a when. So that most likely means you only pray when you're desperate. And desperation is fine. But it's just square one, folks. It's the starting point. Deliverance. Fruit is far beyond that. So the first point is just Paul actually prayed. And then we see what his letters did. We see what the church did. We know he prayed because we saw the fruit that was born. Second thing we could learn about praying for other believers is that Paul tells them he prayed for them. I think this is really important. I think it's really, really, really important. Prayer is not like giving where you shouldn't let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. Tell people you prayed for them. 
Tell them. Because think about what that does. Makes you accountable, right? I can't say it if it didn't happen, so I guess I can't say it. It helps someone know that out there in the world, anybody is lifting them up to the Lord. Please, God, just let someone be praying for me. It's encouragement like you wouldn't believe. It's also educational. Like, oh, I prayed for you for this. It might be something you weren't praying for. I've had people come and say, I'm praying for you, pastor, for this. Like, That's a really good prayer. I wish I thought to pray for that. Thank you. <laughs> I needed that. God knows. Just share it. We pray in the prayer closet with the Father so that we're not being showy. But this is encouragement. If we never actually know if anybody prays, we're not encouraging each other to pray. And what do you think your natural response would be in, if someone says, I prayed for you? Like, I, I want to pray for you now, right? It comes next. It's like, so won't that inspire us to be a prayer-filled people? And what if we came in here in the, in the morning, we didn't have a chance to talk about the Patriots game or the weather because we were so excited to talk about the prayer time that we had for various people the last week. I had this thing come to my mind. I can't wait to tell them about it. Share it. Prayer is a corporate, communal, beautiful thing. Paul told them, hey, I've been praying for you. And even more, this is what I was praying for you. Well, that's educational to them because they might not have even known they needed that prayer. But he, being inspired by the Spirit, is teaching them through his prayer life some of the important things for them to focus on. Tell them. Uh, another point, Paul thanks God for them for their faith and love. This is the opposite of the problem solving, right? He doesn't take their needs to God and be like, help them with something. I'm just super thankful for that person. They have great faith. I love the love in that person. I confess, this is not often how I pray. I'm usually like task-based with the Lord. I, we have this list of things that are going on, and it could be celebrations. Praise God for baptisms. I've been praying for you guys this week, post-baptism. May it be different, may it be deeper, may it be good. Um, but it's, again, it's like case-based. <laughs> what if we just prayed, God, I'm super thankful for Eleanor this week. She's just fantastic. I love her faith. You know, all of a sudden, now you're in a, in a relationship. You're not simply dealing with God as like a checklist or treating someone else as a checklist. Got to make sure I pray for them. No, just thankfulness. Paul says, I'm always just thankful for you guys whenever I pray about you. That's how I feel about this church family. As I pray for you, there's always like a lot of gratitude in it. I feel loved by this family. I see love within this family. I, I see God working. It's like a good thing. But it's usually like a preface to the, the checklist of prayer. <laughs> Dear God, thank you so much to this church family. Man, they are awesome. But he knows all these things already. What if our prayer time was just being thankful for people? Amen. And then you go about your day. That's cool prayer. Paul goes on here, but that's a sufficient prayer. You could pray just prayer of thankfulness for people. And then get up and go about your business. A few of you noticed this next one. Maybe the next two, I'll put them together. Uh, insight into God's will. Spiritual wisdom. This is good. This is even better than praying for someone to know what to do in a specific situation. Because it's going to apply to all their situations. So someone will be trying to figure out which job to take. The bigger prayer beyond God, help them not to screw it up and take the wrong job. That's going to be awful for them. The better prayer, besides fear of failure, I hope I don't lose, playing, praying not to lose, is give them a sense of your guidance in their job that they pick. 
Oh, whoa, whoa, because that means then they're going to know who to say, what to say, what to do, where to go. They could go into a job. God might only have them there for a month. Was it a bad prayer? They got fired. The job company goes under. It was like, no, because maybe they needed to be there for that month. Maybe there was something that God was doing. The bigger picture is let them see what you see about this process. Take a road even if it's a dead end, if that's what God wants. You might want a dead end for a reason. And then we turn and reroute. Pray for discernment, spiritual wisdom beyond the exact decision. There's way more happening than that one decision. There could be way better happening. So don't just pray for their decision. Pray for their spiritual wisdom. Paul does that. He gets it. He's inspiring to us. Uh, he prays for their godly walk, for their actions. May your deeds, may you live worthy of your calling. So pray for the believers that you know to have lives that reflect Jesus. Pray for their holiness. Pray for their good reputation. Pray for their interaction with the world, that it might be good. That's not always a given. doesn't matter whether you're a, a pastor, a missionary, a child, a, a new believer, an old believer. We have the opportunity in any day to really give God a great name or to really drag his name through the mud. But what if there was a host of people praying that our deeds would somehow glorify God, be worthy of what we put the name on ourselves, Christian. Ah, that's a good prayer. Pray for the actions of people to be godly. We've talked about this a lot quickly. Uh, pray for fruit. So what's fruit? Fruit are the things that happen. The apple is not the tree, right? So we're praying for the apple trees, but what an apple is, is it's grown on the tree, but it's for the benefit of others. So someone else eats the apple, not the apple tree. The seeds that get planted become other apple trees, not the apple tree. So the fruit that we bear is not for us. It's the things that we do that nourish other people or plant God's kingdom so that it grows and nourishes other people. So fruit is not for us. We enjoy it, like the apple tree has a joy in creating the fruit that it was meant to create. We have artists in this room. There is a joy in bearing fruit and showing God's creativity as you, you create something. But it's a beautiful thing to create something for someone else also that it may benefit them. Uh, a painting you could give away or, or a, a card or a sketch or something to encourage someone, an encouragement note. Like, gifts are meant to be shared. If the apple tree hoarded all its apples, it would defeat the whole purpose of the apples. So Paul prays for a fruit which comes from believers, but it's not for just the people who are bearing. It's for the other believers and for the world around them. Pray for that. Pray that we may have some beautiful impact on the world through what Christ is doing in us. You notice how he mentions Epaphras. This is another Christian, and the way it reads in this letter, Epaphras was from Colossae, and he ministered to the people there and created the church. So Paul doesn't take any credit for planting the church in Colossae. He's just a Christian who's like speaking wisdom into a church that he's heard about. And from what he's heard, this place is rocking. It's awesome. There's like a lot to be thankful for. And he gives credit where credit's due, because he recognizes that he's not the only Christian that's important to Colossae. This is something we need to remember as well. We are not the only Christian that the people around us need. We need to pray for other Christians to minister to the people that we care about. One plants, one waters, God gives the increase, that sort of concept. He's thankful, he gives respect, he gives honor for Epaphras being used by God in that way, and then he does his part. Are you agonizing over someone that you're praying for and feeling like if you don't pray enough, if you don't do enough, if you don't get it right, 
if you don't think of the perfect book to give them that they can read and learn, if, if you forget to pray for them for weeks at a time, like, ah, well, know what your obligation is and live towards it, but that's still square one. Pray that God surrounds that person with a host of other Christians who can do their part in that person's life because it's not all about you. And it's not all about them. We got a kingdom network going on here. You ever think about how many people were referred to in this section? Paul says, I'm here writing a letter to you, but I'm not here alone. Who is he with? Timothy. Timothy and I are writing a letter. So he's got a ministry partner. He's got four people at the prayer table with him. He's doing this together. He's not a solo act. And he's writing to a church. That's not one person. That's a bunch of people. So all those people that are connected to Paul, they're connected to Timothy. And he brings Epaphras in knowing that he laid the groundwork. He planted a church. So praise God for that. And may you be blessed with fruit to bless all the other people that are going on. Here's a letter, and I want you to read it to all the people that you can. So here's a letter. Here's kingdom. Here's ministry. I, Paul, called by God to be an apostle. Here's my calling, but I'm not alone. We're in this together. And your reputation precedes you. So praise God that you're making a difference. You, Colossi, there's a lot to learn, but there's a lot to love already. Good job. Your reputation is going out into the world. <laughs> like, how many levels of this? He goes on to talking about the hope, sharing in the inheritance with all the saints. So Paul brings in all the Christians of all time that will share in the inheritance of Christ. Talks about the gospel, which in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. We're not alone. So don't pray as if you're the only one needed. And don't act as if you only need one person. We need the village to raise us. We're the kids. <laughs> and we need to rally around others because it takes a village to support and raise baby Christians and mature Christians because we're all still children to the Lord. All right, what else can we glean? Just a couple more. All right, which verse was this? And we should read this one together. Yeah, verse 11. After increasing in the knowledge of God, he prays that they may be strengthened with all of God's power. So there's one, right? Pray for power for people, not just for survival. Pray for power. That's different. Power is like beyond. It's like power. Um, dunamis, like the, the, the dynamite, the, the power of God. Pray for power. Don't just pray for hanging on, white knuckle. Pray for power of God because he's there for that. Being strengthened in all power according to God's glorious might. We don't have strength. I don't have strength. You don't have strength. But God has strength. And if he's honest, then we'll be provided strength. So it's that concept of strength. Pray for power for people. That this power will lead to endurance and patience with joy. Joyful endurance, not begrudging endurance. I can help out with that again. Oh, Pastor Dave's got another project and wants people to sign up for. I'll be there on Saturday pushing the broom. Fine, I can do that. It's not, I can't believe that person said that to me again. How many times have we talked about this thing? But I know I got to endure, I got to love them as the Lord would love me, and I can hang in there. And Joy. Joy. In the endurance. Joy. Love this life, this awful, crazy, messed up, weird journey of faith in which we're like stumbling and bumbling our way through, in which God is perfect and powerful, in which Christ is sufficient and victorious. Like, just love that process. Love that process. So it's a challenge to you, but make that a prayer that you pray for others. 
Where are the people you feel that just seem discouraged? Pray for them to have some joy in their endurance. Maybe they're enduring, but it just ain't fun. Could there be some kind of joy that they discover through the power of God? So that carrying through like Christ on the cross, for the joy set before him. This means while he was being crucified, he was experiencing the joy set before him. So joy isn't happiness, joy isn't easy. Nails in the wrists, nails in the feet is not easy or happy. But he had joy in that moment. God, I know what you're doing right now. Ah, what you're going to do through this, your will be done. There's any other way, but your will be done. Right? There's a joy in that, this like intense satisfaction and contentment and like future hope and optimism. God will do wonderful things through all the difficult things. So pray for joy for others. And he ends with a thankfulness. I think it probably is right for us to end all of our prayers, probably begin them and end them all that way. The Lord's Prayer, right, has a bookend of the kingdom and the power and God's name and will. He thanks God because he's qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So that's walking in light, you know, walk in the light, but it's also heavenly light in the inheritance. We have a now and future, a somewhat but not yet, an already but not yet, a somewhat and then a fullness approach to our faith. We've been given Christ fully. We're in the kingdom fully. We experience it partially, tastes of heaven here on earth. And that's how he prays. Um, but you recognize he's praying for them to be thankful for their inheritance. He's not just thankful for his inheritance. Um, this is like praying for Christians to remember that heaven's what it's really all about. <laughs> Help them to keep their heavenly perspective, to be joyful about heaven even in the midst of whatever's going on on earth. So I think I gave you 10 or 12 there. I'm sure there's many more we could find. But what my hope was this morning is that we would peer over the shoulder, hear Paul pray, and recognize he's going further than I am in some ways. And to not have that be daunting. You hear someone pray a prayer like, oh, I could never pray like that while that person's so... No. Stop. No. But if we only pray, God, save me, he's like, well, of course, I love you. But we are his workmanship, his treasured masterpieces who have been created and then recreated in Christ Jesus, restored, redeemed, for lots of good things, which he's prepared in advance. And I wonder how many times he's like, well, you're taking so long to realize how wonderful you are. You're leaving yourself so little time to be wonderful. It's all God's work. It's not ours. This isn't a pride-centered sermon. This isn't a you can do it. This is a God can do it. And he's chosen you and he wants to use you for it. And if we'd pray that way for each other, we might find ourselves being buoyed up on an ever-rising tide that we didn't even start ourselves. Because other people are directing God's power towards our life. So I, I ask you for this for myself. Please pray for me. That I might have spiritual wisdom and things I pray or preach or Great, please. But don't just pray for pastors. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. Pray for members in the church that you know really well. And pray for members that you can hardly remember that name. You like picture their face. 
You're like, God, you know that person who kind of like sits in the back and they have a beard and they do this thing? Oh, great, he knows who they are. Take the time to pray life into the kingdom. Ask and you shall receive. We'll see what God will do with it. So I love that God has given us this as a starting point. I love that he's inviting us to think more about prayer. I encourage you in your devotional time to think about and read more verses on prayer. Dig in a little bit. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to work our way through the whole book of Colossians. We'll hear more of this advice that Paul has for this church. I think it's timely for us. I'm excited to glean whatever we can from it. But if nothing else, please pray this week. Please pray this week. So let's pray. Father God, we love you, and you love us, and that's a beautiful thing. Oh, if I were to follow Paul's model here, Father, I would pray for each person in this room. I, I just love them. They're amazing. You've done so much work in each one of their lives, some who I know well, some who I'm just meeting, but I know you. So I know you've been at work in their lives because that's what you do, and I'm thankful for you. Thankful for the reputations that you're giving this group of people here at the center, through New Hope, in their individual homes and families, at work, in the broader Christian community. I'm thankful for that, Father. I pray that you wouldn't stop with me or with any of them, any of us. I pray that you would continue uh, the work towards completion that you have begun and that you would inspire us to want more than just survival in our faith, that you would show us what fruit looks like. Please forgive me for focusing too much on the fears in my prayers, and I pray that you would release us all from that, that we could pray future, we could pray hope, we could pray uh, endurance with joy. We could pray um, good deeds and impact for your kingdom. All through your power, all directed by you, all led by your spirit, all for your glory. But please use each one of these people in that way. I pray this week that they would have fruit, wonderful, delicious fruit for the people around them, and that it would be the fruit of your spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control. May we bear delicious, Christ-generated, vine-generated, branch-producing fruit. Lots of it. I pray that this week is, is a multiplication week. It's a, an exponential week, not just a week of adding and subtracting and baselines. But that's in your your hands, Father. So I just pray that your will would be done. We pray for this, ask for this, long for this, and then trust you with however you work it out. Please continue to guide us in our prayer lives that we might know you better. Help remind us whose we are and to be thankful in all things. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.